Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I mean, it's a day or so on from the derby. I'm I'm pretty good still, to be fair. The Reds did a win. They did, did goals, they multiple, did plural, they did and football. they did a clean sheet, Carl. <laughs> I like it. It was it was very nostalgic feeling all around. It was it was it was what it used to be, you know, where Liverpool or people in a Liverpool shirt gave the ball to each other instead of just to the other team. Mm. And, um, you know, when the, when the other team, when they did, because it didn't happen very often, but when they did decide to venture into what we used to call our half of the pitch, but has this season just been open for anybody's half of the pitch, um, what we did was, was quite nice. It was like, what's the word? Effort? Effort. That's Effort, what we did. Yeah. yeah. Quite nostalgic. Yeah. Um, I think fair to say the star of the, the show was young Stefan who turned in a performance well above his years. Mm. I really liked him as that left-sided ace. I thought that was a far more complete performance from him. He's obviously impressed since coming into the team. There's no denying that. But if we're all being honest, we have been a little bit kind to him and overlooked some shoddy positional stuff and awareness stuff. But in that left-sided eight role, with Fab next to him, I thought he just looked so much more at home. And I thought in the first 20 minutes, I thought Henderson and Fab looked a little bit like they were going to turn in the type of performances they have done for the last six months or 18 months in Henderson's case. And he kind of held that midfield together and allowed them to grow into the game. And I thought they both went on and had decent performances but I, I just thought that kid, he was he was so, so good. And the Under Pressure boys will record later, but they have put together um, a little, a little uh, snippet on him. And the pressing, num- the pressing numbers are, are unbelievable. They're unbelievable how, not just how often he pressed, but how successful he was. Mm. With his pressing, he just, he plays the game so cleverly. He doesn't make stupid errors. He reminds me from an intelligent point of, intelligence point of view of Ginny Wijnaldum. But listen to this. So he, he 
pressed. He pressed, it will be nine times, was successful eight times. Onana eight times, successful eight times. Gaillet four times, successful four times. McNeil three times, successful three times. Sims twice, successful twice. Cody twice, successful twice. Tarkovsky once, successful once. And Seamus Coleman once, who's unsuccessful. That's a lot of pressing actions. That's ridiculous. And he, he failed on two of them. That's, that's, the lad said that is the best pressing performance by any Liverpool player since Naby Keita in the FA Cup semi-final. He's 18 years of age. He's only recently turned 18 years of age. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a sensational performance all round from him, I think. Um, I I mean, I agree with what you say in terms of like, he gets a little bit let off the hook for some of the positional work, but I also think that that's par for the course, given his age and, uh, obviously inexperience at, at that. Of course, yeah. Um, but yes, he, he was, I think that first 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe he was firefighting for quite a few players, to be honest with you. Uh, he was, he was covering centrally, he was covering sort of the near side of the pitch to where, to where I was, um, watching from. So our right hand side, not because any of those specific players who were there did anything wrong, but just because, you know, we had lost a couple of balls or we hadn't won the first challenge or, uh, someone had run in behind somebody else or whatever it was and he was all over all over and he was really really um, economical with his use of the ball to start with uh, I thought Fabinho actually the first five minutes or so was playing a, a very nice safe game and then he had a bit of a, a dodgy 15 minute spell I think um, which was a, a bit of a concern but like you say as a, as a whole I think especially after we went 1-0 ahead to the team as a whole I think seemed to grow in a little bit of confidence Seemed to remember that they were, you know, seventeen leagues better than the the opponents they were facing, and um, I mean, great all round showing from Bastic for sure. Definitely man of the match on the night, and uh, just about able to have a bottle of beer to celebrate. Just about, just about. Tell me this: what did you make of Gakpo? I thought I thought he had a, a decent first half. I thought when he got his goal, there was about 15 minutes where he took the game over and was arguably the best player on the pitch. His confidence just seemed to skyrocket. And he was doing the things that we'd seen him do for the Netherlands and PSV that got us excited about him. Dropping off, picking the ball up, spinning his defender and just driving at the defence. Not hesitating, not looking for an out ball. Just driving at people and forcing them back. And even like on it, on the the Salah goal, his pace to go box to box that really impressed me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was a relatively good game overall. To be fair, um, not you know, magical or outstanding or anything, but generally good. I think a lot of the first, let's say, quarter of the game, he was noticeably a bit deeper um, in the classic Firmino role. Let's say it looked very, very much as a diamond when it was build up play for Liverpool. Uh, in that first period, not saying that it was, but just the position that he took up made the layer of the team look that way. Um, I think his his touch was quite good. He held off players quite well, and like you say, the the confidence thing after the goal, we saw exactly the same from Salah. To be honest, that first, I say fifteen twenty minutes, or whatever. Salah twice tried to cut inside, twice twice tried to take people on. Had that one moment where he could have had a shot and didn't really do anything at the end of it. It didn't really know. It didn't really look like he know. 
he knew what to do. He didn't really know how to take the ball on or get himself into a position. It wasn't very natural for him. And as soon as he scored, it was the complete opposite. Mm. Uh, he took people on. He was looking for that cut in and curler to the far side. He had he could have had two in the match on two different occasions. So it was it's it's really weird, but really normal as well because it happens so often. As soon as they get a goal, even if it's just a tap in suddenly you're through the roof and you're flying and you're, you're back to what you should be like. And hopefully, hopefully, like you say, the clean sheet for the defensive players, an improved showing in terms of a midfield setup organisation and the front players scoring as well. And I think Darwin contributed so much, even though he didn't score. Mm. Um, I hope that that is a general confidence improver for the whole team as a result. I was watching that game and wondering what it would look like with Darwin as a 9, Gakpo as a 10, Diaz left wing, Salah right wing, and a double pivot behind them. Like a, a, a Fabinho, Pesetic double pivot, like a defensive-minded double pivot, because it, it just seems like those players could link very, very well. Now, it's not the best use of Salah, admittedly, but I think it might be the best use of the other three, and it will still get Mo plenty of involvement. The last two players I want to uh, mention, uh, but before I do, well, firstly, Joe Gomez, I think is worth highlighting, Carl. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent in that game. I thought he looked much more aggressive. I thought he bullied Ellis Sims, which isn't normally Joe's game, but I thought he looked really, really up for this one. Um, So I, I thought he was excellent. I want your thoughts on him. And I thought Andy Robertson boiling all the piss of all the Evertonians in the world was just one of the best things I've seen all season. Yeah, we needed a, a bit of a Robbo um, ire-inducing showing, I think, and he was probably, you know, we spoke about him actually before the game as being one of the ones we were surprised. We hadn't really seen the, the aggression and the knack and the annoyance from this season when we really needed it, and so he definitely came back in and gave us a bit more of that as well. Gomez, to put it very simply, I think this was his best game since Man City. I think by like yeah. quite a stretch, to be honest. He was very, very good indeed. Yeah, I think so. And I think if Virgil is, is good to start against the tune at the weekend, I think Gomez has earned the spot next to him. My last question to you, am I right in thinking, well, it's my second last question, but it's setting up the last question. You You said you were sitting in the main stand, is that correct? Yeah. So were you holding up some sort of sign that said, Jordan, I have arm extenders here. Is that where Pickford was going for the first goal? Was he heading over to you to get some sort of prosthetics added on to his little limbs? You know what it was? I I took my big foam gloves that uh, you sent me like a year ago and uh, maybe thought that they they were his best option. So he was coming to get them. That, that that would explain it. That would explain it because nothing else, nothing else explains where Jordan Pickford was going. Because not only was he heading outside of where Salah was running, he was heading outside of where Gakpo was. So if Salah doesn't get that ball and tap it into an empty net, Gakpo does, and Pickford is still too far over. Uh, right, we are here today to talk about the Champions League round of sixteen, which kicked off last night. We had two games last night, Carl, and uh, one of them was probably, I suppose, the marquee tie of the round, if you want to look at it that way. Paris Saint-Germain at home to Bayern Munich. Bayern winning 1-0, setting up an away leg, that or a second leg that should be very, very interesting. 
And in the other game, AC Milan won Tottenham Hotspur nil. Uh, former Liverpool target Malik Thiel turning in an outstanding performance in that Milan defence. Which game do you want to start with? Which one did you watch? I watched PSG Bayern, but I had the other game on the second TV and kind of kept one eye on it. But PSG Bayern was the game I wanted to kind of focus in on, largely because it was the, the sort of marquee game. Yeah, I, I watched that one as well, so we might as well start with that since both of us have seen it. Um, Bayern going with a sort of lopsided sort of wing-back system. It was an interesting uh, setup from them. Worked because they dominated play and they were you know, comfortably the better side. I thought there was a couple of players that they didn't necessarily get the best use out of in that system, but then also a couple of them probably benefited from it as well. Uh, I think... I mean, I know he scored the, the goal, but not because of that. I think Kingsley Coleman was the standout player for them for most of the evening. He seemed to have the beating of Hakimi all night long down the left-hand side. Then he swapped over to the right and did exactly the same. Um, so I think he was... Wing-back is not where I would usually use him, but he didn't have wild defensive responsibility, let's say. He was at least allowed to, to stay quite high up pitch and, and to do a lot of attack in his change of direction. And his acceleration was very, very good. Um, Jamal Musiala I thought was really really good again mm. but you can also still see that Nagelsmann has not quite fixed the front three how he wants them to be uh, let's say the the goal scoring in a post Lewandowski world needs to be a bit more <clears throat> a bit more methodical almost or he's trying to make it more methodical for Bayern because they don't just have this killer in the box you can just get the ball to in any kind of position and he'll score and I don't think he's quite there yet. Maybe maybe Chupa Moting is just not quite of the same level, obviously, but there are still other players who you would have thought they could rely on. Nabry has not had as great a season. Muller has not had a good season. Sadie Mane is out injured. So there's, there's things still to work on for Nagelsmann. I'm not sure that this performance, even with a 1-0 win away, puts them in my bracket of, you know, got to be among the, the front runners to win the Champions League this year. But they were good. They were a lot better than PSG were up until last... 10 minutes of the game yeah I suppose the the thing with Bayern is they've obviously got Alfonso Davies who can come in and play as a wing back if they want to go with more traditional full backs or wing backs in Canseo and Davies and that would allow Coleman to play a more advanced role where he can cause havoc I mean he is he is a sensational player and now that he finally seems to be able to stay fit a lot more often He's not having the persistent hamstring problems. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. He is really capable of showing that he's not just an attacking force, but he does a lot of good off-ball work as well. Like there's, there's hints of Sadio in, in a lot of his off-ball work. Um, 
but you would raise questions about the inability to score goals as a, as a unit, especially in that number nine position. Chupamoting, I mean, the guy is, just isn't that level of player. The fact that he plays for Bayern Munich at all is a remarkable thing. That he's starting important Champions League games shows a failure in how they've put this squad together. The other question mark I would have is that back three. Now, I think a back three suits Upamecano much better than a back four. I think he needs to play in the middle of a back three. The problem they have is I think Matthias De Ligt also needs to play in the middle of a back three. And they don't have a left-footed centre-back other than Lucas Hernandez, who's done for the season. So I do think that those wide channels in that back three can be got at. And if they play a four, I don't really like the idea of Upamecano and Delict as a as a pair. So I think they've got issues at both ends of the pitch. I think they're going to be really strong in in central areas. They've got great wide options. You know, if they're playing a back four, the fullbacks will be lethal going forward. The wingers will be great. They've got in Musiala just. I mean, what sort of a talent is this? This is. This is outrageous that he's doing these things at, at that age. I, I, and I don't know what to make of Paris Saint-Germain because I, I don't ha- know how you can go into a major Champions League tie with that midfield and that front two and think you're going to win the game against a team like Bayern. Like, it, it just it didn't make sense to me. That wasn't a functional team. No, I mean, obviously injuries is, is going to play a part and the lack of Mbappe gives you a lack of outlet let's say because Neymar and Messi are not the quickest uh, they've ever been at this point Neymar is just out of form in general I don't think he looks completely fit to be honest and apart from one mad minute or so where he went and pressed about six players in a row when they were passing around him I didn't really see him do too much off the ball in general so between that and you're kind of trying to set up to leave them to not have to work back too much and try to what maybe counter-attack with them or whatever you need a much much better midfield group than they had last night. I mean, Zaire Emery had a lot of good things about him. Last night was not the night for him to impress. Uh, he was he was doing a lot of defensive running. He was doing a lot of covering work and not really having anywhere to go when he got the ball. Verratti pretty much played like Verratti does all the time, so I don't really have a problem with him. Pereira, I don't think, did really too much of anything at all other than block off sort of the routes to uh, the central areas of the penalty box so it was not a great setup and I think the same as every year when we get to this point of the Champions League first time they come up against a very very good side they look like they struggle mm. yeah I think so like for me I was talking to somebody about this last night and I was sort of looking at what they should be and like there's no doubt in Donnarumma is an excellent goalkeeper he had a bit of a mare last night but he's an excellent goalkeeper Hakimi and Mendes are phenomenal, but they're wing-backs. You can use them as full-backs. You're not going to get the very best out of them. So push them on as wing-backs. You've got Marquinhos, one of the best centre-backs in the world. Ramos at this point is washed and shouldn't be in the team. How have you not gone and found the centre-backs to flank Marquinhos? Now, I know Skriniar's coming in. I think in the summer they need to add one more, a lefty. 
because Kimbembe is a busted flush at this point. But then you'd have a functional back three, a top-end goalkeeper, two great wing-backs, get a real partner for Verratti, like a proper dynamic destroyer, someone who's not the Neo Pereira who really shouldn't be playing for a club like PSG, and then play Messi and Mbappe with the proper number nine, someone that can either be a workhorse who'll be a facilitator, like a Bobby type, or someone who can hold the ball up, link play, be a target man, like a Giroud type. Because we've seen Messi, when he played with Suarez, who's obviously a a better version of Bobby because he adds a lot more in terms of goal threat, but similarities in terms of how they work and they press and they'll chase lost causes and take take away a lot of the the legwork from a Messi. And we've seen Mbappe at his very best is with Giroud. So like I was thinking I, I know it's not the type of name you'd normally associate with PSG, but I was thinking like if you put Ivan Tony as a nine with Messi and and Mbappe playing off and around him I, I feel like that as a front three would function far better than anything involving Neymar, who largely plays his own game. In midfield, you add someone like Emmanuel Kone next to Verratti. Someone's mentioned Fabinho. He's not dynamic enough. Fabinho and Verratti would just get run over. You put Manu Kone there next to Verratti. That's a midfield I think works with those wingbacks. Schrinier plus a centre-back. I think it's a it's a straightforward enough path to building a potential Champions League winner. The problem they also have is that the window is closing because how many more seasons has Messi got where he's he's going to be one of the best players in the world? There can't be many left in those legs. It's been a long time now since Messi made his debut. There's a lot of mileage on his legs and he did put himself through a lot in that World Cup. But just feels like I mean, they're almost setting a team up, sacrificing any kind of creativity and coordination in midfield to just put graft in there to carry water for Messi and and Neymar and hope that they'll win you games. And And they will win you a lot of games. The problem is, though, if you don't have enough progression in that midfield, they're having to drop off to the halfway line to pick the ball up. They're turning and facing up against five and six defenders, and they've got one other legitimate option to pass the ball to who might score a goal, or they've got the wing-backs overlapping, and it's not like either of them are getting on the end of too many crosses. So I, 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 I'm I, surprised at how Galtier set the team up last night. I thought throwing Zaire Emery in was a big, brave move because he's only 16, and I thought he was really good off the ball, but like you said, there wasn't any options for him on the ball. For me, PSG are going to go out disappointingly again this season. And I really do think there needs to be a big reckoning there this summer. And I think it needs to start with finding a new home for Neymar. So second leg, they're going through or going out? I think Bayern go through. I think if Bayern are going to show that they can go to major opposition and win away, I think that's it's a very good sign for Bayern because they'll be very tough to beat in Munich. I think Bayern go through. Yeah, I mean, if they lose from this point, I think Nagelsmann's probably in danger of his own job anyway, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah you. I think that's very fair. Uh, the other game then, Milan won Spurs nil. 
Uh, Brahim Diaz with the only goal of the game. Um, two teams that lined up in a 3-4-2-1 shape, the same as Bayern played. It does seem to be coming uh, one of the kind of the trendy shapes to play right now. Um, Spurs were a disappointment. They just couldn't find anything to get going in attack. Kane got swallowed up. Kulisewski got swallowed up. Youngman's son is having a disastrous campaign. And they very clearly miss uh, the presence of Bentoncourt and Heusberg in midfield. Skip and Sarah are good young players, but they're young players. Um, they've lost Bentoncourt for the season. It looks like they may have lost Basuma for most of the season as well to surgery. I, I, I don't know where Spurs go from here, but I mean, they should beat Bayern or they should beat Milan at home. They should beat Milan at home. But at the same time, if they have to open up and be more aggressive, uh, Rafa Liao might feast on their carcass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't watch this game. I've only seen highlights, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But I heard that basically in terms of more chances and good chances to add to the scoreline, you're looking at Milan getting two or maybe three rather than Spurs getting one. Um, and you know what? Going back to home soil, Tottenham's home form is is dreadful. Like really, really poor. They've won three at home in all competitions since mid October. It's you know, one of them was against Man City. Fine, that's that's good. But another one was against Portsmouth, which you can't really take into account anything from from a lower league FA Cup match. Um, I, I think Spurs are very close to being done for the season. To be honest. That's that's my summary of where they are. I think Antonio Conte's had a very poor season. I think the recruitment's not been anywhere near as as in depth as it needed to be. And it mm-hmm. wouldn't be a surprise to me if they went out here and then finished you know, comfortably outside the top four as well. I, I I don't really see that they have the right setup at the minute. I think that midfield is really weak without Benson Co. Uh, Heuberg I think has had a really good season to be honest but <clears throat> you can't rely on him to do both sides of, of the ball and certainly not in every single game that they have left so unless Kane goes on an absolutely mad streak I don't see too much else happening for Spurs this year Yeah I think we're in the probably the final months of Antonio Conte's reign at Spurs and um, I don't think anybody will be too upset I don't think the Spurs fans have warmed to him I don't think they've done well by him as a club. I don't think Paratici's done him any favours. I think Paratici's actually fairly dreadful at his job. Uh, to be honest, I thought he, like, you, you just need to look at what he did at Juventus. Um, he basically ran Juventus into the ground, uh, taking over from Beppe Morata. So I, I think he's dreadful. I think Spurs would be well shot of Paratici, but I think Conte will go as well. And then I, I'll, you know, I'll be interested to see where they go next. Is it a, a reunion with Pochettino? I don't know that that works well all that often when a manager goes back to a club, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we've got a couple of games tonight then in the Champions League. We have Club Bruges managed by Scotty Two Coats because mm. it's winter time, not Cardigan Two Coats. Because it's winter time, up against Benfica. Uh, Scotty Tuchel's took over in December. He has won one, lost one, and drawn five of his seven games in charge. Uh, they are quite far removed from that really good start to the season they had, where they whooped Porto and beat Atletico Madrid. Uh, they take on Benfica, who are having a great season. 
running well, not running away, but they're you know comfortable at the top of the Portuguese league. They've won four of the last five. I think they've won four in a row. And uh, they're scoring goals. They did lose Enzo Fernandez, which is a huge blow, but they added Shreldrup in the January window. He's outstanding. Florentino Luiz is having a great season. Giancarlo Guedes is having a good season since returning there, or a good a good month since returning there. And um, Giancarlo Ramos looks like he might be their next mega money sale, uh, scoring at a, at a decent clip. So I think you can see, you probably see him coming to a Premier League club near you quite soon. Um, Bruges against Benfica, how do you feel this one goes? Um, over the two legs, I'm looking at Benfica to go through because of the cohesion and consistency that they have in the team. I mean, Club Bruges, you know, even before Parker's taken them over, obviously we're on a bit of a spiral there. That's why the job's come up. They've only won once since November. And that was against a team who finished with 10 men. It, it's not a good moment for them. Um, I assume he's going to get the season to see it out and then, you know, a bit of a rebuild where they, they back him a little bit in terms of how he wants to play and so on. But they've still got enough players there to cause problems if, you know, Benfica aren't on their day. Noah Lang, Roman Yeremchuk, I really like both of them. I think I think there's enough um, quality there Tajan Buchanan is, is another one I think he's supposed to be missing um, not, not 100% sure but if he misses out you know they've got players who especially at home you would feel can make a big impact but the big, the biggest question mark over them is obviously going to be Parker because this is his Champions League debut as a, as a head coach so not going to pretend they know anything at all about what he's been doing um, I, have, I have no specific interest in following what's going on with Club Bruges, but it will be interesting to keep an eye on at least how his first couple of games go. Yeah, I think it's, I just think it's all very odd that he got booted out of Bournemouth uh, off the back of a 9-0 win, or 9-0 defeat rather, and somehow rocks into a Champions League job uh, only a matter of months later. It is there are big expectations at, at Bruges. Obviously, they won the league last year, and then they went and they spent heavily in the summer. Now, I know they had a couple of big sales, but the norm for them would have been to pocket most of that money, or the norm in you know in that league would be to pocket most of that money. But, you know, they bring in Bjorn Meyer, they bring in Ferran Jutla, they bring in Kyle Laren on a free, um, Kamal Sauer is in on loan, Casper Nielsen arrives, Cedric Boyata, formerly of Man City and Celtic, arrives. And Roman Yaramchuk, in one of the more surprising moves of the summer, going from Benfica to Bruges. Uh, there is talent there, like you said. And Noah Lang is, is fun, and Buchanan is fun, and Nielsen's a good player. But I, I just... I, I would be surprised if Benfica don't, don't comfortably beat them over the two legs, to be honest. Based on, on current form and just there is a golfing class here without doubt. Uh, the other game tonight then I think is the, the one that will be of more interest to Premier League fans and Liverpool fans probably looking at a potential recruit. Dortmund at home to Chelsea. Chelsea are in poor form. They're obviously sitting 10th in the Premier League. Dortmund come into this game, Carl, in great form. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. 
we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. And I think this one could be an upset. I, I don't think Dortmund winning at home would be an upset, but I do think they've got a real shot at knocking Chelsea out here. Yeah, possibly so. I mean, they seem to be a lot more settled in system. Um, Terzic back in back in charge, obviously now, and I think he seems to have found a better balance in the midfield than they had before. I've uh, been using Emery Chan as like a, a sitter almost, and letting Bellingham and that roam sort of a bit more wild and free ahead of him, and it seems to be benefiting them quite a lot. I mean, Schlotterbeck, I think, has been a good addition for them, but it's still been that thing of Dortmund where you. You're kind of chopping and changing to find which partnership works. He seems to have settled on maybe Sula and Schlotterbeck now, which, again, in theory, I think is is good. But keeping Sula fit and and very very actually fit, not just not injured, is is two different things. Um, along with the usual questions of Brands inconsistency or Rice being fit for more of the time, or how do you get the best out of Giorena or whatever it is. You know, there's lot. There's always been a lot of talent but unfulfilled for different reasons at Dortmund and I think that maybe Terzic at the minute is two jobs that he's done really well one is man management has obviously got people on board and buying into what he wants to do Mm. and two like I said the the tactical setup a little bit of a tweak it looks a lot stronger it looks a lot firmer now in the in the center of the park especially and I think um, putting putting Emre in that slightly deeper role is is a big part of that yeah Emre's playing really well at the moment and there is a, an absolute ton of talent in this squad. They've got a really good goalkeeper in Kobal. Like you said, Schlotterbeck, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I think he's had a, some ropey moments this season, but he, overall, I think he's been good. He's settled now. Just needs to have that consistent partner. Um, Rafa Guerrero's obviously a very talented left back. Young Ryerson looks a prospect. He can play both sides, but he is more non, more naturally a right back. If he can nail that position down and make it his own, I think it's a big help. That second centre-back spot is the problem. Sula, the injuries, Hummels, the fact that it's just his day has come and gone. That's what they need to address in the summer. But I really like the midfield options that they've got. Like I know he hasn't played a ton this season, but I still like Mo Dahoud. I think he still has a lot to offer. Um, I, I really like what I've seen of, of Sally Oscan. I think that's a hell of a player there. Gio Reyna can play wide, can play in one of the eight positions, incredibly gifted. The questions are over his attitude. Brand, like you said, it's all about consistency with him. We know what Jude can offer, and he has been a sensation for them this season. He's the one consistent piece in that midfield, and I think he's benefited probably the most as well from Emre coming in and sitting behind and doing a lot of the grunt work. And then an attack, I think getting Seb Haller back is massive. Yeah. 
because they spent a lot of money to bring him in in the summer and obviously had the the cancer diagnosis. Getting him back gives them a focal point. And then when you look at the likes of Royce, you look at Daniel Mallon, who's not had a good time since going there, but he's still a talent. Kareem Adeyemi, Jamie Bonneau-Gittens looks a massive talent. And they've brought in uh, Julian Duranville, who's another huge prospect from uh, from Belgium. Yusofa Makoko, who might be the most talented young German after Florian Wirtz. There is so much talent here. There's no real excuse for them to not be a real force going forward. The question will be, can they find that balance and be solid enough defensively that they're not having to play basketball and win games, you know, four three every week. Yeah, um, I think finding finding control is a, a huge, huge thing for them in quite a few respects. To be honest, not just the, the basketball, like you say, we've been used to seeing them win games three two and lose four three in successive weeks for for so long now. But also that the turnover that they've had in that playing squad for quite a while has been very destabilizing. I think, and even on the on the bench after a couple of very settled managers and longer-term planning that they had there, the head coach turnover has been a bit too much. Like I, I thought Marco Rosa would have been a really, really good fit for them. Seemed to work quickly and then not at all. Uh, and then it's obviously been a bit backwards and forwards for quite a while now. I think the jury's still out on Terzic in terms of how good he is as a tactician. I think that's fair because, you know, relatively little experience and all that. But the fact that he seems to be so uh, hard working and obviously a very what we'd call over here a club man um, it seems to just help all the players and all the rest of the staff be very very high in terms of buying in terms of what they're doing for and they see maybe how much he is doing and, and try to do exactly the same so uh, I think getting Yusuf and Makoko to, to sign a new long term deal is really big for them as well because then you've got now Haller coming back and someone to play either off him or alongside him and to grow um, as, a, as an alternative for him rather than having to be you know, you have to go and look for another 18-year-old who's going to come forward because that cycle of, of, of improving players and selling them on does have to continue for Dortmund for them to remain really competitive. And if you get a couple of misses, especially an attack like Marlon, mm-hmm. like you say, is is so far, you have to say, a, a, a wide miss. It's not worked yes. at all. Um, Adiemi has got a bit more time, but so far, again, you've not really had the explosive moments from him. So really important that they got Makoko tied down. And you can think that next season is going to be a continuation now. Rather than another rebuild year, it's going to be something that they can add on top of. Even if they lose, you know, Jude or whoever it is, there's there's still plenty of groundwork already put in there. They're already really competitive and already really close to the top. There's a lot to carry on with and there's not going to have to be that complete overhaul in certain situations. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Just from a, a Liverpool point of view, we obviously know that 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 Jude is kind of the the top target, the target. Is there anyone else at Dortmund right now? Say outside of Makoko, who's just signed that new deal. Yeah. Would there be anybody else that you'd cast an eye on and think he'd be a useful addition to us? Because I look at Sally Oskan, and I think he's exactly the type of of player that would fit well into our squad. He's a good age profile at 25. His pressing numbers are impressive. His ball winning is impressive. I think he's a very intelligent player. I think he's got 
some versatility to play in a two or a three. I think he could do a job as a six, but he is he would be more suited to that left sided eight role. Mm. Would there be anybody would, would would he interest you? Is there anyone else there that would interest you? He he would in terms of a squad addition. I don't think I would be looking at him as someone to come straight in and be a start and eleven to make us a title contender again. But yes, as a, in terms of we need a bit of a uh, a scrub and reset in midfield. Yeah, definitely, he's the type of player. I don't think that there's anybody else. I'll be honest, because I've, I've never been a massive brand fan. Um, Royce, I have always been a fan of, but he's too old. And mm. I think too many of the rest are middling or inconsistent. Like Guerrero is now past the point where I would want to sign him. Sula is past the point I would want to sign him. Um, Giorena, I'm less sold on him than some of the other talents that they've had. Adi Amy, the same. Um, so I, I think that the rest of them, probably not. Uh, I haven't seen um, the the English forward that they signed Bino Gittens, is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't think I've really seen him play very much, so I'm not really sure what style of player he is, to be honest. So he's he's obviously only a bit part player at the moment still. So mm. one to watch, but I don't think that the rest are too many. There might be the odd squad player. Like I like the fact that Ryerson can play both sides of defence. For example, I think that that's you know probably something we should look at if if Costas moves on. Let's say. If you get someone who can play both sides, then you don't need an actual Trent alternative who's never going to play, but you can have someone who's not just a, a teenager or you know, just going to be sat on the bench for 50 games a season or anything like that. So that kind of thing is, is useful, but I don't think of their starters. There are too many. I do actually like um, goalkeeper Cobble very much, but obviously, again, there's not really much point. No, no, we have no need for a very expensive... Uh, bench decoration. Um, right, let's move on then to next week's uh, Champions League ties. So the obvious one to start with is Eintracht Frankfurt against Napoli mm. on Tuesday night. Uh, Eintracht finished second in their group. They were in Tottenham's group. Uh, they won the Europa League last year in what was a massive moment for the club. Um, they advanced over Sporting and Marseille, which is, you know, pretty impressive, especially considering they started off getting thumped at home by Sporting, but then beat Marseille, drew with Spurs, uh, lost the Spurs away, beat Marseille at home, and then beat Sporting away from home to sneak through. Um, this is going to be a very tough ask for them, though, because Napoli might be the best team in Europe this season. Not just in the Champions League, but when you factor in what they've done in Serie A, they have been sensational. And in Victor uh, Osman and Kvicic Kvaratskhelia, they have maybe the best two-pronged attack in Europe right now. Yes, uh, all things being equal, I think Napoli go through here by like maybe three goals across the two legs. Um, it, it, it shouldn't actually be that close. Eintracht are still a half-decent side, but I think there are gaps in their squad now this year, and I think that they have, I wouldn't say they've overstretched themselves, but sometimes success comes at a bit of a cost, obviously. Uh, We've seen it in England with loads of teams who qualify for Europe, and then that following season, it's hard to firstly replicate the consistency that you showed to get there, and secondly, with the added games, the added travel, the added... Um, expectations on you and everything else, it's it's very, very difficult to maintain that same level. And I think a little bit of that frying tract, you know, after 
what was a historic season for them, you, it's going to be really difficult to get anywhere close to matching it. And I, I don't think that they're playing as, as well as they can do, let's say. Um, Napoli, it was quite interesting to see, obviously, after um, one or two results didn't go their way, how they would be able to bounce back from that, and they just did. They absolutely mm. you know, kicked back into gear straight away after they lost to Inter. I think it was, I can't remember if it was the next game or the one after that, they absolutely wiped the floor with Juventus. And it's just been a bit of a procession for them in, in the last couple of weeks, to be honest. Yeah, 15 points clear with 16 games to go. It would take the mother and father of all choke jobs for them not to win the league from this situation. Um, Eintracht are a strange team. I don't think they're helped by the fact that they've got two key players in Evan and Dicker and... Price Daichi Kamada, whose contracts are up at the end of the season, and there's uncertainty about whether those two players are willing to stay at the club. Don't think that helps. I think Lindstrom's also had a bit of a dip in form. Randall Cole and Muani, though, is, is playing very well for them, and I think he will be the big threat that uh, Napoli will have to keep an eye on. But yeah, I, I fancy Napoli to go through as well. There is another game on the same night as that Eintracht-Napoli game, apparently Liverpool are playing Real Madrid. Uh, Liverpool obviously beat Everton, Carl, but that shouldn't be... Um, it shouldn't be mistaken for any kind of turnaround, given the fact that Everton are absolutely shit. But Madrid are not exactly tearing up trees at the moment either. They've slipped to 11 points behind Barcelona in the league, admittedly with a game in hand but they are stumbling along in La Liga, not looking anything like the Real Madrid that we saw win a European Cup last year. Yes, which is an odd thing to say, considering the last match Real Madrid played made them world champions. Um, they won the Club World Cup, obviously, against uh, matches against the mighty Al Ali in the semis and Al Hilal in the final. So congrats to them. Um I mean, we're going to do, obviously, a more in-depth one on Real Madrid, so let's let's not spend too much time on it. And they've got a game this weekend against Elche, which is equally big. But uh, it, it might be... They're playing today. They're playing Elche today. They're playing Osasuna at the weekend. Oh, yeah. Elche is their make-up game to, for the, because they've got the game in hand on, on Barca. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. Ha! <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. 
We are w- witnessing a, a tie here between last two last season's two finalists, but we are not really. I think that's no. uh, that's what we're we're saying here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said, we will do a, a proper a proper scouted on that one. So we'll we'll bypass that for now and move on to next Wednesday's games, the first of which sees Orby Leipzig play host to well, let's just call them what they are, those cheating bastards, Manchester City. <laughs> um there's no point no point in sugarcoating this shit anymore. Um Leipzig are having a strange season. I think that's fair to say. They decided to sack another manager early this season. Marco Rose has, uh, who who'd obviously failed at, at Dortmund, is now the the Leipzig manager. Leipzig sit fifth in the Bundesliga table in the last five games. They've had a draw, two wins, a draw, and a defeat. So not exactly uh, finding any kind of consistency, but. You know, when you look at the squad, it really is a squad full of exceptionally talented players who are using them as a springboard to go elsewhere. Um, is there any hope for them to beat said cheating bastards? Yes, I wouldn't say that there's an extraordinarily big hope, but yes, there are. Um, I don't, I don't think that Leipzig um, yet can be. How do we describe this? I don't think that they can be um, happy with where they are, obviously, in, in terms of the, the Bundesliga table. But they're also not that far off because Bayern are obviously having a slightly uh, less re- completely consistent season than all the time. So there's a there's a very very tight group at the, the sort of the second tier of the top clubs uh, in Germany at the moment. So domestically, it's fine for them. They're not of the quality, though, to to really trouble the the best sides in Europe. I think it's probably fair to say, across the board in Europe, the best sides might be worse this year in general. Uh, And obviously, we're talking about Liverpool, Real Madrid just a minute ago. They're not the only ones. Man City, not as good as they were last season. No. And nor are a couple of the other clubs. So... Maybe there's maybe there's something in that in uh, all the squashed together matches last season and the squashed together games this year and all the rest of it. Hmm, who knows? Sure, these things are disconnected. Anyway, uh, I don't think Leipzig are good enough to to trouble City across two matches, but in one they could do. In one they could get a really really good result and then just have to absolutely grind it in the second match. I think if they tried to play, let's say their normal game in both legs, you lose to Man City across two. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. I think you've also, again, got to look at that that Leipzig squad and there's major question marks over the futures of a couple of players. We know Lamer's leaving. We know Nkunku's leaving. Gvardiol, there's, there's not a week goes by, there's not a report linking him elsewhere. Donny Olmo is, or Danny Olmo rather, is, is consistently linked with moves away. Timo Werner went back there to try and rebuild his career after the disastrous stint at Chelsea, and, and he might look to move on again. And Dominic Zaboslai is is there until the big offer comes in. So you know it's it's a very strange club. It's a strange culture that they've built there. Um, you wouldn't really you wouldn't uh, want to put too much faith in them. But like you said, if if they come up with the right game plan and they, they can get a good result against City, 
there is a possibility. You are right when you say that this, the big clubs from last season are not as good this season. Like you, you can look at all four teams that finished in the top four last year in the Premier League. City aren't as good. We're awful. Spurs are fairly dreadful, and Chelsea are dreadful. Like that's a big, big fall off from those four. In La Liga, Real clearly not as good. Atleti clearly not as good. They're quite poor this season. Barca, to their credit, are having a, a a good season, and they've been exceptionally good defensively. But you know, Milan have been poor this year. I don't think Inter have been particularly good this year at all. Um, Juve have been poor this year. So, you know, even like in with PSG, they're not nearly as good this season as they were last year. So it is a, it is a very strange season across the board. Um, we, we'll all keep our fingers crossed that that uh, PSG, that uh, Red Bull Leipzig can find a way through. But, I mean, they're not exactly a club that you could really get on board with. They're, they're a, you know, a marketing tool for a, an energy drink before they're a football club, and that's just always going to be weird. How dare you, Rass and Ball Sport. Uh, yeah, l- l- lawn, lawn Ball Sport. Mm. Good stuff. Um, the last through? tie, then. Who's going through? Come on. You haven't picked- oh, City, City will go through. City will go through. Yeah, City will go through. Um, I, I've, so far, I've got Bayern. I want to say... I want to say Milan. I'm going to stick. I'll go. I'll say Milan. Bayern, Milan, Benfica, Dortmund, Napoli, City. They're who I've got going through from the six we've talked about. Who do you have from those six? Okay, Bayern. I'll pick Tottenham to somehow let Milan fall apart. Um, Benfica. I'll also go for Dortmund and Napoli. And now this one, Man City. Right, so the last one then is Inter versus Porto. Um, let's see. Inter in their group. How did that run? Inter finished second in Group C behind Bayern, ahead of Barcelona and Victoria Plisson, who were just there basically to get walloped every single game. And Porto topped Group B ahead of Club Bruges, Leverkusen, and Atletico Madrid, but did find themselves spanked by Bruges in one of their games there. Porto are currently second in La Liga, but are on a very good run of form at the moment. They have won their last five in a row in the league. They're unbeaten in their last 10 since losing to Benfica on the 21st of October. They are five points behind Benfica, so still well within striking range. Um, Inter not having as good a season. Uh, large question marks starting to be raised over the future of Simone and Zaghi and whether he will be there next season, whether there could be uh, a reunion for them with a former manager. Now, they are second in the league, but they're 15 points behind Napoli, so that's why it's not, not so good. Uh, they're only three points ahead of Atalanta, Roma and AC Milan. They have won two and drawn one in their last three. But they have been beaten six times in the league, which is disappointing for them. Um, They're not scoring at the same rate I think they would have hoped to score, in large part because 
They brought Romelu Lukaku in on loan. He has been injured pretty much the whole season. Latour Martinez is on a bit of a tear at the moment, and that's helping massively. Um, Nico Barea is playing really, really well in midfield. I don't love the Chalanaglu, Barella, Brozovic midfield three, but it is functioning quite well at the moment. I, I just don't really know what to make of this team, Carl, other than I don't really like what I see in most games. No, I don't like watching them. I'm not going to lie. Um, I I think Inter had a good opportunity to make something quite good and basically didn't have the money to do it, and now they're about two levels down from where they were. Um, <clears throat> they should be competitive in Italy. I know Napoli obviously have, have, have gone strides beyond where anybody could have expected, but in general terms, I think even as they are right now, Inter should be fairly competitive. Uh, the fact that they're not, I find them a little bit a little bit defensive and, and reactive in matches still sometimes. I think they should push to, to dominate matches more than they do. And I think that it's a little bit safe at times and that's where they, they drop points that they shouldn't do. Um, they seem to be all right in, in some of the bigger matches. You know, they beat AC not long ago, they beat Inter, Inter they beat Atalanta. Um, but I think that they are a little bit off in terms of quality of squad in, to, in, in, in trying to be among the best sides in Europe. But domestically, mm. I think there's enough there for them to, to really be a bit closer than they are, to be honest. Um, there's there's some bits to like, for sure, and still some of the, the core players through that spine are really good. But then I look at like some, some of the time, you see them line up with certain wing-backs, and I'm just like... What, what are you hoping to to achieve with them? Mm. Uh, you're still playing Damian a lot of the time. You, I don't think Gozens has really done everything that he could do. DeMarco, I'm not a massive fan of, to be honest. So I, I think there are easy areas to improve, but I also find them as a team, maybe just under uh, Inzaghi, too safe. Too safe to really go on and win stuff. Which is weird because the football he played at Lazio... Yeah wasn't what you'd have described as a safe brand of football. It was quite adventurous and there was a lot of risk-taking. Yeah. Now, some of that is down to the players he had in, in Sergei and uh, especially Luis Alberto. He doesn't have those type of players at, at, at Inter, but Jesus Christ, yeah, it is, it is very much like belt and braces type of thing. Um, it, it's such a weird team because going into the... World, the World Cup break, they go to Atalanta and beat them 3-2 in Bergamo. Coming out of the break, they beat Napoli, who are running away with the league. And then they draw 2-2 with Monza, who are relegation-threatened. Then they lose 1-0 at home to Empoli, which is just completely unacceptable. And then last time out, they drew with Sampdoria, who are garbage. Like, legitimately garbage. They have 11 points from 22 games. That's dreadful. I, I, they're just such a weird team. Like I said, they, they've beaten Milan, they've beaten Atalanta, they've beaten Napoli, and then they're dropping points to Sampdoria and, oh, that's it's just completely unacceptable. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a good opportunity for Porto to go through here, to be honest. Mm. Um you know, we know they're in a weaker league and they're not even having their own best season in that. But a couple of big um, results recently to beat uh, Sporting um, again at the at the weekend, I think it was. Yeah. Maybe, I can't remember now. Um, but there's there's enough of a, 
consistency and and togetherness there in that team they all know how to play and what they're doing i think maybe across the two legs if they're brave and if they obviously have their clinical moments maybe this is one that they can actually get through yeah i think so i think so and i actually am going to pick them to go through i'm picking porto to go through out of this one who who are you going with i will go with porto okay so the one we're in uh, disagreement over is the Milan-Tottenham one. I think we're, we're lined up on the rest. Uh, as we said, we will talk more about Liverpool against Real Madrid when the time comes. But I think, um, I think that'll do us for today. I think we can leave it there. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you've got coming out this week that you want people to know about? Plug, uh, well, back to the beginning of the pod, there's a piece on Stefan Bastic and his showing, let's say, and where he is at the moment for Liverpool. And the only other thing I will say, actually, is as we, Liverpool, head back into the Champions League knockouts, Mohamed Salah is still the uh, top scorer in the competition this season, so you never know. Yeah, that's exactly the truth. You just never know what's going to happen. If we find form, if Virgil gets comes back and is Virgil again, if Fabinho can build on what was a, an improved performance, if Gomez can build on an improved performance and Trent can build on that and Ibu comes back and Diaz comes back and the momentum starts to build. If we can just... If we can just... Beat them. Beat Real. The whole thing opens up for us. And uh, the first leg is going to be absolutely vital. That's sort of the key thing here. The first leg is absolutely vital. We need to go to Madrid with an advantage. Because if we do, I think we can keep them out over there. Uh, We'll leave it there. We'll be back later in the week to discuss the upcoming game with Newcastle. But thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.